Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we dig into some of our favorite games and discuss what we can learn from them. Also, whoops. Just why we like them? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. You know, I'll get it right eventually. Uh, For those of you out there counting, this is episode 17 coming at you on February 1st, 2018. (laughs) Um, and not the other way around. So, my name is Chase Strollenberg, and I'm joined today by... Stu Gritter. Stu Gritter. Hey, how are you today, good, Stu? Good, good, good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Fumbled a little bit right at the start, but you know oh, what? I'm going to come back strong. It's, good. it's not like it's Super Bowl weekend. No, and it's good to set the tone. Yeah, yeah. Get a little playful, um, and yeah, just uh, just do what we do. So... For anybody who is approaching this podcast brand new, bushy-eyed, and uh, whatever-tailed <laughs> comes comes <laughs> after that. Oh, this is great. It's bright-tailed. Um, yeah, and bushy, bushy-mouthed. Um, wow, could you imagine? My mouth is pretty bushy right now. Well, I've got, got a, a mustache, so it works. Beard. Yeah. Got a pretty bad beard. Okay, sorry. Anybody coming here for the first time, um, what we like to do every single episode is uh, Stu picks a game, I pick a game. Uh, generally games that we like, that we've played, that we've engaged with a lot. And we like to explore the intrinsic educational value of the game. Um, this can be anything academic from math to even like reading uh, and even like narrative comprehension, stuff like that. But also um, other sort of weird and socioeconomic stuff. So a good example was a few episodes ago we did games that introduced us to gaming on the internet and like the the weird sort of experiences of growing up with the internet um, when it was brand new. Uh, it I expect that other people could share that story and it would be very different. Um, also, uh, I expect that in the future we will do other games um, that don't even have to do with video games uh that we had a really good episode that was just tabletop so it's really just sort of open season um a game that teaches us something uh and that something is about as subjective as uh, as the act of learning itself um so Stu, right off the top before we get into uh the next section was there anything you wanted to discuss uh i've got nothing off the cuff today that's good. Uh, you, generally, you don't, but I, I just mm-hmm. like to check in. You know, I like to check in. Yeah, I appreciate so I think, it. Hey, no problem. So I think we're going to shift into uh, what we learned this week. Okay, so this is the section of the show where we discuss what we learned about gaming this week. Stu and I love tech and gaming. Um, so remember, if you have any news or tech updates that you would like to share with us so that we can discuss them, just email them to learnedfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's learnedfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. So, Stu, what did you learn this week? The only news piece that really caught my ear was um, had to do with, I guess, the recent resurgence of cryptocurrencies has led to a lot of graphics cards being purchased. And I guess I guess wow. there's there's actually For Bitcoin been Bitcoin mining, right? Yeah, basically. So yeah. I, I guess a lot of people are like the the price of video cards has not come down the way people would expect after a certain amount of time. Yes, not uh, just just because the demand is um, so much higher than than we'd expect after after the amount of time. Uh, so that's interesting. It's gone so far as I I believe some. Uh, some retailers and some manufacturers 
uh, are actually only honoring sales orders with a maximum of two cards. So there are so few that a lot of companies aren't selling batches of eight or 16 or, you know, however many you might actually want to fill a room of coin farmers. So that's kind of neat. That is, uh, that's actually pretty interesting. Um, That's sorry. mm. That's just the PC gamer hardware side of me that kind of snagged onto that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm thinking uh, just the way that this laptop is performing. I mean, I like it. I, I paid a respectable sum for it, but um, I'm betting I'm going to want a desktop within the next uh, year and a half, maybe two. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, uh, tracking how prices are going to be shaping up in, in around that time. Um, if this is how things are going and cryptocurrency isn't going anywhere, then uh, I I just have to get ready to take a hit when I want a good video card. Yep, that's okay though. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay, so sorry, didn't mean to cough towards the mic. I was actually coughing away from it. Um, so Stu, was there anything else you wanted to discuss? Nah, that's that's all I got. Okay, so for me, uh, I spent a lot of this week listening um, sort of like passively to to podcasts, and everyone is talking about two games. Can you guess what they are? No idea. That's okay. You don't need to know, but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> One of them is Monster Hunter Worlds, which is on uh, PS4 right now. Um, that is getting a lot of talk about. Yep. And the other is uh, the incredibly beautiful and uh, and respectfully constructed remake of Shadow of the Colossus. So not just an HD uh, facelift, but like uh, basically completely new art assets all thrown in. Uh, 4K compatible Shadow of the Colossus with a, a a little bit of new stuff thrown in. So I don't know if you ever played Shadow of the Colossus. I watched other people play it, and it was such a fun game to watch yeah. other people play. Yeah. And such an engaging... Like, for a story where people didn't really talk, where the most the guy said was, like, his horse's name, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was uh, just such Surprisingly a Surprisingly engaging, yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you could sit there and watch other people play it, and... It's only been made easier because it looks so good. Um, I've watched a few videos online, uh, putting my my laptop as as high up as it can go, and um, it's been good. It's been uh, it's been good. And you know what, Monster Hunter World. I, I I'm not trying to shit on that game either because Monster Hunter World also looks amazing. And the thing that <clears throat> the thing that some people are talking about. Um, I think a good example is uh, Austin Walker uh, from Waypoint and Waypoint Radio. Um, Technology has, like, we're there. We're there where if you're creating creatures in a virtual world, you can now create those mannerisms and those actions that also evoke a sense of, uh, like, pity. So, like, we are... At the point, I mean, in Monster Hunter, because I, I played, I played the last two install installments, not a lot, but a little bit, um, just because God, it's so hard to get into that game if you don't have a lot of time. Yeah, I yeah. haven't. Um, but um, if you hurt 
an animal, well, a monster enough. Like they're monsters, but at the end of the day, they perform like animals. That's what their their intelligence algorithms kind of do. Um, in world, most of these creatures have like a home base or a nest or something. So what they'll do is they'll try and limp back to the base and then just lie down and try to like rest to recover. So they'll run away from you and do this. Um, but like even down to the animation, to the way that they start performing, like you, you sort of like see the pain, you see the way that they're responding. I have not played any of this game. I don't think I'll be able to until it comes out on PC. And I don't think it's out on PC yet. I think it's just out on PS4. But like, it's an interesting conversation that's stemming from it because like we're now at the point where like these games exist, where you're creating and this means that Capcom's team took the time to try to make these things as true to animals as possible. Um, with the exception of like the really freakish ones, like there are some almost mythical, like super gross monsters. Um, but it's it's sort of like one of those things where it's kind of a animal killing simulator. Um, and I'm I'm doing it a disservice. I'm just trying to echo what Austin was saying, which was that like he still loves the game. Right, it's a beautiful game. He enjoys playing it, but there will be parts in that game where, like, he feels almost dirty with the way that all he's doing is just hunting this thing for its tail so he can make gear out of it. And it's just like you're watching yourself strip off like the scales on this thing as it starts to move slower, as it starts to limp, as it starts to show pain, and then eventually it just walks away, lies down, and like is ready to die. Um, and that's the point we're at in video games. <laughs> Um, and I just, I think it's such an, you know, I think it's just such an interesting, it's an interesting thing, right? Because the, the backlash online has been like, Oh, you know, suck it up. It's a game. And it's, you're 100% right. He's not saying he doesn't want to play the game. He's saying he likes playing the game, but there are aspects of that game that make him feel bad, um, that actually evoke guilt. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing, right? I think if I were to, like, smack my dog and it were to limp in pain and then lie down and give up, <laughs> right? I would feel guilty. Yeah, yeah. And that and that speaks volumes not only to the technology, but also, like, the degree of uh, just artistic integrity that goes into creating something like that and, and having it be that lifelike and be able to evoke that kind of emotion you know by having something yeah that looks animalish enough or behaves animalish enough it's yeah 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 it's uh it's interesting um and like it makes me want to get like the trap the trap of getting into a monster hunter game is like it makes me want to get into it but i'm just like when would i play it when when would i play this immense, uh, almost unapproachable game. I hear that this is one of the most approachable. Most approachable, ones. yeah, yeah. Um, not that that matters, because like it, I've I've tried it twice already and kind of bounced off of mm. it. But uh, yeah, that's uh, every I think like Kotaku, uh, IGN, Gamespot, um, Waypoint, of course. Like everybody is talking about 
those two games and everybody is enjoying playing both of them. Yeah. And that's great. Like, I think that's, uh, that's good. Both of them have, they have some similarities, but they are very different games. Um, one is just like straight boss mode fights, um, with a beautiful, beautiful environment. The other one is, uh, really sort of a grindy, just keep killing, killing, killing. (laughs) (laughs) And feeling bad about it. Yeah. Occasionally. Well, you know, what's funny is like, uh, no, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to ruin Shadow of the Classes for everybody listening. Sorry, everybody. Okay. We're just, yeah, let's just swerve away from that. Um, (laughs) next. And that was all I've got. Okay. Um, yeah, not a lot of time to read a lot of articles this week, or last week, or the week before that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just do what I can when I can. Uh, all right, so then, Stu, um, maybe we'll just shift into the next section, which is uh, what we learned from gaming. So, uh, this is the section that I'm assuming the audience has been waiting for. Uh, this is where we pick a game that we've played and we describe what we learned from it. So Stu, do you want to go first or would you like me to go first? I'm leaving that open to you. Um, I'm, I'm still, I'm still in, in spectator mode here. I would love to listen to you for a little longer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's warm you up a little bit, get you out of the cold and get you comfortable. So today I am going to talk about one of my favorite PC games of all time, uh, no, it's not Master of Orion 2 because we already talked about it. It's uh, another is... hentai game, isn't it? <laughs> no, this is a... Well, no, the art style is different. Um, I guess European fantasy? Um, okay, so Age of Wonders. Age of Wonders for PC. So this is uh, a game that was designed by Triumph Studios, published by Gathering of Developers, and Epic Games. It depended where you lived. Um, or maybe it was both. I don't know. I can't remember 100%. Um, and it was published back in October 1999. So the genre type, this is a turn-based strategy with a fantasy uh, setting. Uh, core mechanics, um, y- you had some options here, but you, you could either play through single-player campaign or custom maps as the leader of a selected race uh, using each turn to navigate your armies across the world map. Then you would take over and manage cities, produce units, and fight your opponent. So um, tactical combat in this game was particularly good, and what it would do is whenever uh, two opposing armies would meet, um, you had the option of either auto-fight or tactical, and tactical would pull you out of the overworld map for a condensed map version of whatever was around you at the time. And you would just sort of, um, you, you could control everything that was in a stat, well, in a, in whatever that, that group of creatures that had attacked you or was you were attacking with. You would be able to control each individual one of those. Um, and that was a really, really neat, <coughs> a really neat system. And it was sort of, um, I'm not going to say hexagonal. It was, it was honestly just square. Like, I, I don't think you could turn the grid on to see what it looked like, but it was, it was basically like a square map. Um, so in terms of educational concepts and engagement, um, as most of this game as like most turn-based strategies, uh, this game focused on dominance as a victory condition for the game. And it required that you master the, uh, your economy. So you understand how you're expanding your cities, um, as well as combat, but, uh, 
one of the interesting things about cities in this game, so if you were to look at the overmap, um, and I would say if you're actually genuinely interested in this game, it's harder to find gameplay videos of this game than I thought. Hmm. Um, I guess it's a little obscure than I remember. Maybe because I just played it so much, but not a lot of other people did, I guess. I, um, I think Age of Empires got a lot of spotlight. Is the reason yeah. why? And actually, right now, Age of Wonders 3, which is the latest version of, uh, well, the, the latest game in the series, mm-hmm. um, is doing okay. Uh, it was received pretty well by most of the fans of the series, and even me, I, I actually kind of enjoy it, but I, I don't know if I would ever do an episode on it, just because I haven't spent enough time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the first game, uh, in the first game, they're, like, cities which were so important for producing units came in four different sizes. There was the one space, the two space, the three space, and the four space. And this was just like the blocks that it inhabited on the overworld map. Um, And what was interesting about cities is they were dedicated to, to a race. And there were so many little nuances in this game. So when you chose a race, uh, your race wasn't like, it didn't, it wasn't just that race that you selected. You selected your magic type um, if you chose custom and you could choose like your leader and stuff. So you choose your race, you choose your magic type, which I think there was water, earth, fire, air, life, and death. And <clears throat> you could only take so much of each uh, each type of magic because there were actually opposing fields. So like water opposed fire. So if you're taking fire, you can take water air opposed earth so if you're taking air you can't take earth life opposed death so if you're taking life you can't take death if you take too many of one or the other and you could go like pure focus so that you get into the the deepest uh, tiers of of that type of magic or you could mix and match um it was it was pretty interesting um and i don't think it was a complete cancel out i think there was a you could take one if you, you take one of these you have to take two of these to counteract it so you could take fire and water but you could only take one fire if you are uh, into water it was a little convoluted that way and i i'm kind of getting lost on it but um when you picked a race your race also had an alignment so um think of tolkien esque fantasy <coughs> So, like, dwarves are good, elves are good, um, halflings are good. Uh, gosh, what else was good in this game? There was a, a group, uh, a faction called the High Men, which are basically like the men of Minas Tirith, um, but, like, like high men. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, they're, like, I think their highest level creature was a, was a titan, um, and, like, they're their next lower creature was a, uh, a Valkyrie. So they're almost angelic, like, um, uh, so, sort of like, a, um, divine parentage. And they were, if, if everything else was good, then they were like absolute good. Uh, so there were actually like tiers of how good you could be. And then there was the neutral races and the neutral races were humans, uh, lizard men, uh, Azrak, which are like sort of aztec desert people, and um, Frostlings, which are like frost uh, halflings, <laughs> which I always yeah. played. I always played them. Yeah. And then the evil uh, were 
I think it was goblins, orcs, dark elves, and uh, the undead. And the undead were like pure evil, so they could never get along with uh, with good. And the only reason why this mattered is because there was a morality system in the game. And there were certain things that influenced your morality, and one of them was the alignment of other creatures you were with. So, um, creatures were racist. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best way to put it. Yeah, Yeah, no, they they actually were. Um, Creatures were racist in that game. Uh, So, if you took creatures from another race, if they weren't in a matching alignment, so, like, say you were an orc and you captured a human city, but instead of converting it to an orc city or just raising it to the ground, you decided to leave it as humans and you started producing human units out of it um, because that's the luxury of whatever race it is that you captured. Um, Those humans, if they're hanging out with you and you're just a bunch of orcs, number one, they're not evil. They're just sort of the in-between. So they might get along with you a little bit, but the fact that you're an orc, they really don't like that. Not to mention all of the orcs in your army also aren't a huge fan of humans. So the morality in your army overall isn't going to be great. Um, so you usually benefited from just playing in your purview. So if you had, if there were other like, uh, evil races around, you would sort of keep their towns around if you captured them or, um, or you just convert everything to your own race, depending on your preference or, uh, what sort of tools you want to access. The reason why this is all important is because each race had distinctly different units. You had the, the baseline units, which were like, um, Melee units, archer units, and then I think like um, a special sort of exotic unit. So like Frostling's got the penguin, uh, like a dire penguin. Um, Some people got pikemen. Some people got, well, it's really hard to remember everything. But uh, as you leveled up your cities, you could unlock different uh, unit types. So so like priests and stuff, but the high end was where things really, really got uh, differentiated. So um, I guess you would call that third and fourth tier. Fourth tier was the strongest units. And that's where you would get things like uh, dragons or um, incorporeal spirits that could possess other units and basically burn through an entire army that way. Um, the goblins got access to this thing called like a crow rag, which would just run through the underground and kill everything. Um, so understanding what each race had access to was sort of a benefit. So you would, you would take the time to really think about what your army composition was and, or what you wanted your army, what you wanted in your army. And that's how you would decide whether or not you would keep a town when you came across it. If you had the luxury of being able to hold on to it, um, so I'm kind of getting lost here <laughs> only because I want to talk about all the really cool stuff in the game. Yeah. But what I want to remember is that um, I guess like what's really important to try and convey without going too, too deep into all of this, all of the systems. Cause I don't know if that's really the type of podcast we're doing is just to say that like this game gave me a really deep respect for turn-based combat um, because of all, because of the depth of choice in what you could take in an army, because of the depth of choice in the, the magic system, which I mean, the magic system wasn't terribly complex, but it assisted in combat. And then just being able to do all kinds of things in combat. I mean, combat, 
your character or each unit had its ability so like archers had the like shoot arrows um but say a second level uh unit like a priest also has the heal ability or the turn undead and these were options that you could just click and then use uh in uh, in the tactical combat and it it was really sort of interesting there were also like i mentioned the incorporeal specter um that could possess stuff that thing couldn't be hit by uh anything that was non-magical so it you needed to have an elemental affinity or a, a magical attack in order to even sca- scathe that so that thing would rip through um tier one units that had no magical access no no magical weaponry unless they were enchanted in some way um and it was interesting because there were hard counters to basically everything in the game if something had flight if you didn't have arrows you couldn't bring it down and if it had like a ranged attack while it was flying it was it was very very hard to get at <laughs> yep. right so dra- that made dragons like incredibly powerful because they could basically destroy anything that was on the ground that wasn't ranged um but they were also very susceptible to to ranged attacks so anything that was on the ground that had ranged attack um could do some damage to a dragon um <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know. I I don't know how else to describe it except that it hit me at a time where I was really digging fantasy. Like I was reading all kinds of D and D D and D novels. <laughs> like just uh, and it it hit me right at that time where everything just sort of fell together. I was at an age uh, so eighty nine. I would have been or no ninety nine. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to calculate. I would have been sixteen. I think. I think, uh, no, yeah, I would have been 16, 16 when I first encountered this game. And, um, yeah, like uh, my mind could, uh, could comprehend like the nuances of basic strategy at that point. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, so I just, I really ended up digging this game. My, my father really enjoyed it. We had an uncle. That was how we actually encountered this game for the first time was he had it. He really enjoyed it. Um, we would play this game hot seat all the time. We never finished a single fucking game because, <laughs> because if there's one thing I've learned about hot seat, it's a huge waste of time, but incredibly fun in theory. Yeah. Um, I'm just kidding. Like a, a good hot seat. If, if you have the time can be really, really enjoyable, but uh, yeah, man, it was, it was just one of those things. Like it really sort of sparked. So, um, I mean, aside from basic economics and then basic strategy, uh, I don't know. Uh, and there, like the the depth of strategic or strategy in like leader creation. So thinking about what you would put on your leader. There was all different kinds of skills when you're doing a custom leader setting. Um, again, race choice and uh, yeah, I think really yeah, and just spells. Um, I mean, I learned patience because of playing hot seat, but I also kind of learned that from Masters mm-hmm. of Orion, and that came that came earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned how to really sort of sell games from this game. Like, I, I pimped this game out to all of my friends. None of them were really into PC gaming except for one or two of them, and, like, they would come over and want to play this game because I was so excited about huh. it. And that was something that hadn't happened 
like I mean I could get excited about games and show them and they'd be like oh yeah, all right but I had never successfully like sold people on games before but this one was uh, I don't know it was a little more approachable especially for people who weren't used to playing computers um and in terms of like a, a turn-based strat, it, it was yeah, it was like it was it was nice. Um, it wasn't too too complex, if that makes any sense. Like I've uh, I've played much deeper games. Yeah, before. still easily approachable. Yeah. Um, cons for this game, because there are some, uh, is the AI wasn't great. Wow, you could exploit that. Like mm-hmm. a campaign game was so easy. So, so easy. Um, and then uh, the game often crashed in multiplayer if you tried to play on anything other than Hot Seat or email. And email was an option for playing this game, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really sucked. Uh, the, the multiplayer... <laughs> no, yeah, the multiplayer was so unstable. Yeah. Um, you tried to play a tactical combat, which was, again, I, I really try to emphasize this, some of the best aspects of this game. And it just shut down, <coughs> and that's really too bad. Um, like playing, I've I played this game email, uh, so I would take a turn and email it to somebody else, yeah. and they would take a turn and email it back to me. And the problem with that was, I could play tactical combat against that person, and I would just dominate it because I was playing against the computer and the, com- the whatever the computer thought that they would want to do. Yeah. Right, because it wouldn't do, like, one turn email. Yeah, It wouldn't do, like, one round email. Yeah, it's crazy. It was just like, no, you play an entire turn. Um, And if you knew the exploits for the AI, you could really sort of uh, wreck an email game. And that's just, that's too bad, but that's just the way it was. Um, A lot of email players preferred to just turn off tactical combat entirely, which to me was, like, turning off the The most fun part of the the game. game. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) like, it was crazy. Um, but a lot of people did that, especially, uh, online because it would just break the game. Um, so yeah, uh, trying to think of how to summarize this, like uh, age of wonders was in so many ways, one of my favorite turn-based strats growing up. It wasn't a four X, right? It was, it was something else. It was, um, basically like a fantasy kingdom simulator, um, it wasn't like Civ because you couldn't build cities. You had to come across them and conquer them. Um, I'm just trying to think of other stuff that it was like. Like Heroes? Yeah. Actually, Heroes is, the is closest? a good example. Yes, except the, I would say that the comment... Or the comment. Oh, the, the combat, combat was, was very yeah. different, yeah. Yeah, so much. I prefer the, the combat in Age of Wonders to the combat oh, yeah. in uh, Might and Magic any day. Heroes of Might and Magic. Because Heroes is just stacks smacking into each other. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of strategy there. Uh, even though I do kind of enjoy Heroes, it, it, again, uh, the stack system really, really bugs me. I, I've, I've never really enjoyed yeah. it. Oh, that's fair. Um, so, yeah. Learned economy, learned tactics, got all excited about games, got other people excited about games. And that is what I got from Age of Wonders. So I'm curious. Uh, yeah, hit me. Uh, oh, do it. Was, I want to keep talking about this game. <laughs> <laughs> was this one of the first strategy games you played where the like where you came into that uh, that mechanic where there were very powerful units that had hard counters? 
Hmm. Um. Yeah, you know, other games hadn't really captured this well. Uh, here uh, we mentioned Heroes of Might and Magic. Yeah. Heroes of Might and Magic, anything could run into anything and hit it, mm. right? Like there, there weren't the there weren't um, subtle things like incorporeal stuff like that. Uh, or if there was, was I didn't much really more rare. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, just other things that were like it. I'm having a lot of trouble thinking of other things that were like it. I mean, uh, there was there was stuff like this in Masters of Orion too, right? <coughs> yeah, I think you so. could get certain types of shields that had like reflective fields. So it's just like, okay, well, we can't a hit them with bit, lasers, yeah. so we we'll shoot them with uh, with missiles, stuff like that. Yeah, um, end game stuff, but but it was still yeah. Those games are still mostly level two creatures are gonna beat level one creatures. Yeah, whereas that wasn't exactly the case in Age of Wonders, right? There were level one creatures that could still beat level two or even level three creatures. Um, you just had to know how to use them. Um, but a level one creature was not going to beat a level four creature. That just, <laughs> that's just they uh, had limits. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I don't think so. If I can be honest, like I, there was a Civ two mod. A fantasy mod for Civ Two. Yeah, heaven and sword or heaven, heaven and. Yeah, you could something. play like uh, so many different types of, uh, of fantasy races, and there were like levels to the world. There was like a heaven level, a hell level, underground for like dwarves and and goblins and stuff, yeah. and then just like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It was like seven different realms, maybe I can't remember. Um, and that was also definitely not the same thing. Um. I I think this might have been, yeah. And it's weird because it was ninety nine. Like I'd been gaming for quite a while. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Huh. Huh. Neat. Yeah. Um. You know what? No. I I feel like I would have encountered stuff like this in Final Fantasy, right? There were like incorporeal or undead things, or even, uh, but but yeah. it, the difference was it wasn't a strategy game. Yeah, it, that's what I mean. It, it was different, like outside the realm of Pokemon. Where like oh something's weak to this <laughs> like that kind of thing it, it when it's contained in an arena or something like that when it doesn't have like an economic grand strategy application it's different yeah. right yeah oh my god it, <laughs> if I could use if I could use Pokemon tactically oh boy yeah <laughs> oh man that would be awesome you got me thinking now like a uh, a Final Fantasy Tactics style uh, Pokemon mm-hmm. game would be awesome yeah um, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, Stu, uh, do you have any other questions about Age of Empires? Did you ever play it? Uh, you Very little, yeah. Yeah, you probably so. didn't engage with it as favorably as I did. Like, I got into all kinds of custom downloadable maps. Yeah. There was... Somebody took the time to do a Middle Earth map. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was so awesome. It's right... Uh, what happens? I'm trying to think about the exact timeline. It's... um. So the uh, the fellowship is broken. Um, everybody is either uh, over at Minas Tirith or um, the uh, the two hobbits. So Sam and Frodo are. Uh, I think they're already in the. Uh, God, what do you even call that? Mordor. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, like you can find them. Um, well, no, sorry. The, the The whole concept of the map is that. Um, the, the ring doesn't get destroyed. 
So you don't you like you find their bodies and then uh, okay. it's really a quest for Gollum. Yeah. Um because if you find Gollum you find the ring and that was the thing was uh your leaders could put equipment on and stuff as well. Um and if you get that ring, I think it's something absurd. Like uh, it, it ups your both of your defensive types, so your resistance to uh, magical attacks, and then your resistance to physical attacks. Um, and it makes you invisible or incorporeal. I forget which, yeah. or maybe it might even be both. Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, if you can find Golem, you can actually get the ring. But I never found him because you can't see him. On yeah, the map. funny how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, if he was hungry enough, he would attack, like, uh, single units and stuff. Uh, the, whoever did it, like, created an AI for him. Yeah. Um, but it was very true to the actual map of Middle-Earth. And the, it was awesome because the, the creativity in, um, well, in most communities that have uh, uh, a devout following like this game, you can still find the custom maps for this game online. Yeah. Um, and chances are I've played a few of them. Um some of the best and highest rated ones in the community, uh, the community archives uh, I've played, but just some of the stuff the community came up with was so much better than what was even just in the game. Uh, and the game had some good stuff in it. Don't get me wrong, but like the we're talking hours and hours and hours and hours poured into making a labor of love map, and then I got to play on it, and it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Okay, yeah, that's what I got. The only other thing I'm going to have to mention is uh, I looked up on uh, Age of Wonders dot Wikia, uh, mm-hmm. the Dire Penguin. Not only is the description fantastic, but the picture, the icon for the Dire oh, Penguin God. is magnificent. Yeah, it's like, like this general penguin. like With red eyes. With red eyes like and ranks, standing in front oh. of ranks of other Dire Penguins. It looks fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, that... Um, there were some pretty interesting, uh, <laughs> pretty interesting uh, units it. in that game. Uh, the highest level unit for the for the halflings was a leprechaun, um, and it was very like uh, just because so much of this is Tolkien esque, it was very Tom Bombadil sort of style um, concept of a leprechaun. Um, also, like your your third tier guys, you could have like a sheriff and stuff if you're halflings. So it was, uh, I forget. Goblins had like these weird beetle riders. Also, the Frostlings were hands down like the one of the funniest freaking factions. They got access to um, the Frost Queen uh, and the Yeti <laughs> and like uh, Will O Wisp. Uh, and like that dire penguin, it's just sort of like, what is this faction? It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I I really enjoyed playing them a lot. Actually, that was my preferred faction. <laughs> um, I don't know why. I just I really liked playing ice goblins. Um, That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Uh, nerd nerding out huge. Yeah. Age yeah. sixteen, <laughs> hours of my life thrown into this. Yeah. Like I would say days, if not weeks. Oh, I believe it. If yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. Okay, that's it for me. So what do you got? All right, so I'm going to I'm going to kind of talk about two games again cuz I like bending rules. Uh I'm doing it because they're awfully similar. They were released a year apart. One is the literal sequel to the next to to, okay. the, to the previous Herpter. Uh so uh, I'm I'm going to talk about um 
because gosh, I just wanted to keep Interplay going. So I'm <laughs> going to talk about Fallout and Fallout 2. Oh, good stuff. Yep. So uh, Fallout was released in 97, Fallout 2 in 98. Uh, they were both published by Interplay. I think the first was actually developed by Interplay and the second was Black Isle. Okay. Fallout is a post-apocalyptic setting and when you start the game you kind of create your hero and it's a it's a GURPS like system. It's called special. It's the system that's stuck through uh, Fallout 3 4 as well where you have uh, strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intellect, agility and luck and you kind of pick your stats and they have different skills that are available. You'll never be good at all of them. You'll kind of be good at some of them. The skill list changed game by game, but there was often small guns, big guns, unarmed fighting, uh, melee weapons, things like speech and doctoring and medicine, uh, science and repairing and uh, lock picking and stealing and understanding traps or generic science was one of them i think uh, bartering and gambling were in a couple of the games so you would have your base stats you would pick your skills and then you would have uh, one or two other kind of special traits that would be super great and kind of weird or random and then you would just kind of go into what was basically an open world with a post-apocalyptic setting where nukes came down, world's all poached. You're coming out of a society that was in an underground vault for a long time. The Fallout 1 or 2 have different reasons why you're going out into the world. But suffice it to say, it's not a friendly place. It was kind of real time, but when combat started, it would go into a turn-based mode. You could acquire followers but you kind of had a general task. In Fallout 1 and 2, the general task was you had to perform some task to save uh, the town that you're leaving, the, the town where you grew up. But there wasn't, there was kind of a time limit in the first one, which was interesting and I'll talk about it again later. But for the most part, it was just an open world. There was a big ass overhead map you could explore it. The map would stay the same game by game. So if you knew where something was, you could just go there at later playthroughs if you wanted. But it was an open world. There would be random encounters when you're going from place to place. You might find traders. You might find friendly people. You might find people that want to follow you. Uh, you might find raiders. You might find ex-military goons who just want to, you know, kill you and take your things. You could find mutants because there's a lot of radiation still floating around. It was really, could be anything. But you would go from town to town, follow whatever story you wanted, find little subplots, take jobs in different towns, do whatever you wanted. Kind of just take whatever role you wanted in this messed up world. Part of that taking whatever role you wanted really shone through with the dialogue options that they put in the first two games. Fallout 1 and 2 are still pretty widely praised for if your character has low intellect, for example, you can't have a conversation with anyone. 
If, <laughs> if, if you roll the lowest level intellect, like you're in, almost incapable of speech, which mm. drastically changes all of your options. If you can't diplomatically calm a situation down by going into a town where there are two rival people and, and talking them both out of an extremely violent solution, you have no choice but to pursue an extremely violent solution. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There, there are there are things like having a high skill in science when you're sp- speaking with people uh, will give you these options to you know utilize your knowledge of something to distill a situation. And unlike most other games, if you don't have those requisite skills, the game doesn't show you an option that's you know grayed out that says, "Oh, I'm sorry, you don't know enough science." Uh, it just you won't know it's there until you play a character that has enough science, and then poof, suddenly that option is there next time you play. And that kind of gave the game a little bit more. I don't. It, it made it less gamey, as well. So you couldn't just go into a situation, no, I need to have 40 points in science by this point in the game so that I can get the best outcome of this situation. You're either you're a science dude or you're not. And that's yeah. kind of the way you would play through the game. You either have good intellect or you don't. You have high charisma and people like you, or you have low charisma and no one wants to see your face. And it, it was just, it made its way throughout a lot of different things and a lot of the decisions that you had to make. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the decisions you had to make also weren't set in stone. You could, it was an open game. There would be multiple options available and morality was kind of present in the game, but it wasn't forced on you. You didn't have to be a good guy. Y- right. You could be a slaver. You could sell people. You could be a grave robber. You you would be labeled as such. And <laughs> the social consequences down the line might become apparent. But the, the, they were things that you could do. Uh, it, right. You know, as long as you could put up with yourself doing that. There would be uh, oftentimes rival gangs. You kind of pick one and help them win. There, I mean, sometimes they were like a good guy, bad guy sort of thing. Sometimes not. Uh, wh- one of the one of the really good examples uh, is th- there's a town where there is kind of like a good upstanding sheriffy type guy who's gosh darn it he's like absolutely the good guy and he's kind of trying to out this super bad guy who actually tries to have the good guy murdered and the bad guy wants to take over the town and make lots of money and blah 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 blah. So from that perspective, when, when you're standing in that town and you're looking at it objectively, it looks like the sheriff is the good guy and it's, it just seems natural to want to help him. But when you beat the game, when you beat either of the games, you kind of get a montage of the things that you did in all the different towns and what the results of your, of your choices are. And in this particular case, helping the good guy means that that town kind of slowly peters out. There's not an economic ground there. And it just eventually the people who had tried to make a home there wound up either scattered or pursued by raiders, and the town just falls apart and disappears. Or if the quote-unquote bad guy wins, 
he's got enough money and he manages to build up a prosperous town there and and so th there's th even when you don't know what the outcome of your actions are going to be like being a slaver objectively not a cool thing to do <laughs> Like the, I, I the, agree. They, there's a there's a civil war fought over that. Uh, the the morality that they paint is it's not just you do a good thing so you're good and then good comes of it. It's a messed up like the 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 cause and effect is pretty well thought out. Uh, in the first game, you have the option of your objective is to find a water chip so that your place can your town can stay in their vault with fresh water and clean water. If you want, you can hire water merchants to deliver a bunch of water there, and that buys you more time. So if it's taking you a while to get through your, this job, if you don't want them all to die, that's fine. Get them water. But it actually ends up hurting you a bit because your vault is a secret. Nobody knows where it is. And as soon as these people deliver water there, and they find out that there's this vault full of all kinds of crazy technology and it turns out they don't have as many guns as everybody else does you actually cut your timeline down pretty drastically in the sense that now all of a sudden you have this hard line where not only are people going to run out of water but bandits and raiders are going to hear about this place now it used to be safe because it was obscure now everybody knows where it is now it's going to be raided, and there's it's going to have a very violent end instead. So it's something that, obviously, sitting there, you you see some water merchants and think, oh, my place needs water. Let's send water back home. But the the long term effects of your choices aren't immediately apparent, and can bite you in the ass. And it's really that's, interesting. That's nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's a nice touch. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I never played these games growing up. Um, and in fact, the only game, I mean, I played Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2, which I don't, they're not the same type of game. They didn't grip me the same, same way. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have said very good things about both of these games. I just never... Yeah, just never, never approached them. That that it's fair. I think there there are there are mechanics in those games that didn't necessarily age well. So I I, I think they're still worth playing if you enjoy those kinds of games. I don't know how approachable they are. Um, I I'm, I don't know if I would have much trouble, right? Like a, a good FAQ or. Um, just maybe a light walkthrough instead of a, bi a big walkthrough, just like a few like keynotes, things to consider when you're starting. Yeah. And then I would probably be all right. Yeah. And, and most of it is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, the, the character creation is really the most technical and there are great explanations for everything. You click on small guns and it tells you this helps you with pistols and small rifles you click on big guns and it says this is for shit like rocket launchers and gatling guns okay well there you go you want to be good with pistols and rifles that's small guns anything else big guns there you <laughs> yeah. go so Stu, yeah. compared to say wasteland 2 
Um, how do these games hold up? I have a hard time talking about Wasteland 2. But why do you have a hard time talking about Wasteland 2? It did absolutely nothing for me. Which is weird, because we spent hours playing that game. Yeah, we did. Hours and hours that I'll never get back. And and I don't know if that's something that... uh, There was just so much... The amount of text in Wasteland 2 that... I don't know. It, it, none of it was gripping to me. Yeah. The Fallout games had much shorter, concise dialogue. It was really right. punchy. And it still, a lot of it had that that slightly dark humor that people love out of the Fallout 3 and 4 games. Right. Like the, the Pip-Boy is, the Fallout Boy, sorry, whatever, is still like, he was the icon back then. And he's, like was treated the same way. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, it, it does do this brilliant, brilliant contrast between, you know, the that that dark humor and and the insane backdrop of, of the the post-apocalyptic setting where it's just like nothing is good. Yeah. Well, there's also the the difference between wasteland and. Um and Fallout, even just the aesthetic, right? You've got the the burned out sort of, um, I would say like eighties, nineties, two thousands in Wasteland. Um, maybe a little higher because of some of the tech that you run into. Whereas Fallout, the Fallout, just Fallout in general, um, all of the Fallout series have followed sort of this, like. Um, peak of uh, 50s and 60s motif yeah right like the aesthetic when you when you're out uh, when you're out in the for lack of a better term wasteland right running into uh, ravaged cars stuff like that it's all that 50s, like 50s style. and 60s style yeah um, like you know like the the say you come across a diner, in three or four, it'll have like the big mascot outside, even if they're like scorched and ruined, right? Like, um, it's just such a different, such a different aesthetic, yeah. Um, that breathes a type of life into the world that Wasteland, like, Wasteland makes so, so much of its game just unfamiliar and uninteresting. Um, and it, and, and everything feels kind of generic. And because I, I I found Fallout easier to go through text wise because it it felt more grounded. It felt less. There there are fewer times where you have to suspend your disbelief more and more and more and more. <laughs> like Wasteland <laughs> Two is that every time you you go to the next screen you have to like do this head check of really this. This is what we really this now, this now, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some and, of the fetch quests in that game were and brutal. Just, Fallout and Fallout Two did a really good job of keeping things within the realm. I don't know. It, it was easier to do. It was a smaller suspension of disbelief to really carry through a lot of it. I mean, there, there are there are a couple of characters through those that are just so so well done. It's fantastic, and the places. 
the locations had a very real sense to them as well a lot of the time which is really really good yeah um i wonder if they were as good at grout grounding the uh the geography in one and two because i know that uh three is is uh kind of good and four is basically true to life uh scale in scale it's not but like in actual what is what is in four if you were to go to the city that it's based in uh a lot of that stuff is still there Mm. right they just sort of nuked it up yeah (laughs) well i i think one of the oh i don't know if i've talked about this particular video but there's a gentleman who does a fantastic breakdown of the difference between fallout 3 and fallout 3 new vegas new vegas was for three right I hope, unless it's yeah. four. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's three. Well, New Vegas is basically standalone. Yeah, but but yeah, the standalone expansion but, uh, based on the three. Engine. But the world difference between three and New Vegas was that three was like almost comical set pieces slammed down arbitrarily. The world didn't really make sense. It was it felt really phony, and in New Vegas, everything was. It was much better thought out. Things made sense. You, you, the the towns individually and as a network were better thought out and seemed more realistic. And I and that kind of mm-hmm. feeling, I would say Fallout One and Two are a lot more like New Vegas, and Wasteland Two is a lot more like Fallout Three, where things just didn't feel thing did things didn't feel thought through and connected, the way yeah, Fallout One and Two and New Vegas felt. Hmm. Have you played any of four? I, I no, no, I don't think I have. Okay. If I it, yeah, because it's yeah. it's on sale right now. <laughs> it's on sale on Steam right now. I, I honestly, I I I don't think I would pick it up anyway. But that's fair. Like that's uh, fair. Par, part of um, me should because I should be excited to try it at least. But I think Fallout Three was blech enough for me. I don't know. Okay. I couldn't get into yeah. it. That's fair. I've heard that there were some systems in four that aren't exactly apparent, but I think that enough time has passed yeah. since it's released that we would be able to find some pretty, uh, pretty comprehensive guides. Well, um, well even just the, that, the 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 town building in four was treated yeah. like an afterthought, it seems, by the developers, and it was the one thing that people clung to. It was this, you know, forging your destiny in this open world and, and being a building up a town in a community that's a fantastic idea that's an awesome thing to want to do but let's not actually spend any development time on that yeah yeah super sad Mm. Mm -hmm. okay so then Stu, yeah let's uh let's get the brass tacks we've been talking about follow-up for a little bit bit, yeah what exactly do you feel you learn from a game oh so First off, there's just the the exploration of trying to play the game multiple times with different characters to see the different reactions, the different uh, the different dialogue options that would be available, mm-hmm. and it would and the different combat op- options tactically would present themselves as well. So it presented itself as an unforgiving, very rigid kind of requirement system to see certain things and being able to explore that was was really really neat and it it forced you to stick with certain things when you got to a certain point 
you know, whatever your, your second character is, if you make your second character quite different than your first, you're going to be, you won't have a choice but to play a slightly different game because yeah. the choices that you, you, you'll be forced into choices that you didn't have to make with your first character. Your first character was able to fix that, you know, farm or eat that thing or, I don't know, bad example, the other thing. And your second character can't do that. So you're going to have to do something new and different. It's the same world. You might want to do the same thing, but you can't deal with it. Mm -hmm. So you're using whatever's available to make new choices. There's also a sense of permanence in some of that too. Like, like I said, some of your choices do have long-term, longer term consequences consequences and ramifications. Yeah. And some of, some of it was small. Some of it didn't matter too much. Some of it was along the scale of, you know, blowing up a town. Now they're not there. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so okay. uh, sometimes you might not know that was going to happen. It was really, it was, it was good in that sense. So there's some exploration, some choices that you have to make, uh, understanding what your character's skills are and pros and cons of different things. I think it also opened up morality in a way that a lot of games didn't at that point. Okay. So it wasn't just good guys and bad guys. It wasn't um, good guys are angels, <laughs> neutrals might be humans, evil guys are undead. <laughs> it was yeah. every uh, possible choice you could make could have good and bad ramifications, and you might not necessarily know what they are. You can try and do the right thing, you might do the right thing Mm -hmm. even if you try your hardest but maybe not and you you don't always know and once you've committed to that decision you just i mean you could save scum or read a walkthrough but to treat the game earnestly and stick with those decisions kind of shows you a little bit of yeah you did try to do the right thing great good for you now everybody's (laughs) dead like it yeah it just happens (laughs) So you kind of have to learn to live with that kind of thing, too. That was good. Um, yeah, that that's that's probably it for <laughs> teaching things. <laughs> I mean, th- th- there okay. were elements of leveling up and picking your things, and if you wanted to be good at this or that or whatever, you could, you know, d- tactically level your character in a certain direction. Once you learn the combat mechanics or the speech mechanics, you could tailor certain things and do some min-maxing there for sure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, same things with party members and equipping correctly and dealing with inventory management and, and money management, all that kind of thing. That, that I mean, standard RPG stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't think any of that matters much here. Okay. Um, hmm. And it was only single player, right? Yes. Okay. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, I think uh, maybe we ran the ran the course of that game. Yeah. <laughs> Trying try to think on cons. I guess the, the oldness, the for some people, unapproachability. Some of the some of the game mechanics and conventions probably weren't ironed out yet. So there will be some clunkiness to it here and there. 
Yeah. And maybe one or two obtuse quest lines, I guess. But, yeah. I mean, I think those were pretty common during that time as well. Yeah. As bad as some of the fetch quests from Wasteland 2. Oh, way worse. There might be one or two that are worse. Just at least the fetch quests are like, you need to go here and pick up this thing. It's (laughs) it might be stupid, but usually they're clear. Okay, look, I'm just I I don't know if you'd remember that. I feel like there was there might have been one that we couldn't find. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there was a bunch we couldn't find, and we just solved solved them by killing everybody. Probably. I I I I thought I remember there was being one. It was like, go find me four of these things. We did, and we brought them back, and then he was like, oh, go find me six more, and we just 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 no, fuck it, I'm out. Killed them. (laughs) Yeah. No, <laughs> dying of fire. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. And that was, that had a lot to do with who was with us. Um, not so much us. It was more, oh, um, it was, it was, yeah, it was our friends. One of them wanted oh. to be demolition specialist and the other, I don't know, just unhinged. Um, <laughs> in gaming. Oh. Um, to, oh, yeah. But yeah, no, we can't. We cannot. We're not going down this road. Mm-mm. That's a whole other episode. I, f- I feel like we could talk about. Uh, that would be such a salty episode, but oh. our experiences with, uh, <gasps> Let's do that. with Wasteland 2. Let's too. do that for one of our guest episodes. Get both of them. That would be hysterical. I mean. Well, we think. Yeah, it would we be don't funny. have to put it out if it ends up being crappy. If it's just 60 minutes of people venting and squaring. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> At least it that was so It would be bad. funny to record. It was okay. Um, just just for context for everybody else, a long time ago, uh, uh, whenever uh, Wasteland Two got released after its Kickstarter, um, Stu offered to basically do a video chronicle of uh, all of us, um, and we got to make our own characters. I was on a big machete uh, kick at the time, <laughs> so I made a, a a guy named Senior Massacre, um, oh. bordering. On, uh, that was uh, that was yeah pretty unconscious racism oh yeah um, oh easily <laughs> like just being just and this again like this is back what i think like early 20s mid 20s for me so like i should know better but i don't yet and i'm a piece of crap but um yeah god we just uh we tried again and it was it was fun for like 10 minutes or something we had you know what <laughs> there's some I good score to it for a bit yeah. But it became a chore. I don't know if those, quickly. yeah, I don't know if those videos still exist. But I hope they're all gone forever. I don't. I don't know if I'd be able. You to can to tell. That. You could tell. Probably, I would say about um, about a month in, maybe a little later, we started straining. Oh yeah, and then it, and then it's just like this game is still going. Oh. <laughs> like every week after that, it's yeah. like this game is still going. Yeah. Like what are we doing? Yeah. Um, Terrible. That is not Fallout. No, <laughs> no, Fallout's good and <laughs> but, fun, and you should try it if you never have. Yeah. So each of us had a character. We controlled it in uh, in Wasteland Two, and um, I wish I could say silliness ensued. It it Maybe did occasionally, twice, but, but usually it was just frustration. Yeah. Um, Which is too bad. And I, I don't know, some of that it might just be maybe that is also a game that's better suited to. I mean, obviously it's a single player game. Yeah, and we should have been reading the text <laughs> instead uh, of talking to each I other. Know. I haven't heard anyone praise the writing in that game, though. Mm, it's not great. Yeah, and there's a As lot a of it. That's the thing. Yeah, 
yeah it's like walls of text um and it wasn't all great anyway um mm-hmm. right so yeah cool yeah cool 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 uh did you want to say anything else in closing about fallout or fallout 2 um just brief mention if you actually enjoy the the combat and combat and fallout one or two and you're a tactical dude there is uh fallout tactics which was that engine it also had a real-time option where it was squad-based combat it was actually a lot of fun too that's interesting it was it was really really cool actually (coughs) you could actually it was a it was a hybrid you could switch between turn-based and real-time so you could really be careful with semi tactics or give yourself a challenge and never use the turn base it, it was whatever it it was neat it was fun if you've been through one and two and you liked the combat at all if you find it remotely interesting give tactics a shot it's 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 worth a gander okay cool um hmm well and i think Stu. um you know what just as a quick throwaway yeah. right right at the yeah. end there, i just realized this um Age of Wonders had this weird... It's I wouldn't call it morality, right? You had alignments, which I already discussed, yeah. but it also had this sort of um, racial chart that you could look at. Um, and I, I don't even remember if you could actually look at it. Basically, what happened is, as you played the game and captured and either raised towns or, um, or converted them to your race or whatever, uh, whatever you decided to do... Um, your relationship with that entire race would alter. Oh, okay. So, um, so let's say you're playing the Frostlings, which were my favorite. They were neutral. They had the option of integrating with evil or good races as well. But say I took a few goblin towns and I'm just like, you know what? I really don't like goblins. I'm just going to switch it to, to my race. Uh, the goblins as an entire race of people like you less would remember (laughs) that act and would like you less so anytime they encounter you or anyone from your race they remember your actions um and it compounds over time until by the end of the game you have like you have impacted (laughs) the lives of an entire nation of people um and they remember uh and i thought that that was interesting like you you directly shaped your relationship with an entire race of people um, just by your actions. Yeah. And that was, it, That's you really know, cool. like I'm, I'm maybe giving it a little more narrative merit than, than the mechanic itself. But uh, like, at least it was there playing. This, it wasn't yeah, deep. You're playing this to have fun. And if you want to be immersive, then it's just like, Oh yeah, no, totally marginalizing these people. Every time I kick them out of their own town so that I can live there. <laughs> Um, yep. yeah, interesting, interesting mechanic, uh, to show up in a game and something that took me a while to grasp as a 16 year old, uh, but still pretty cool. Okay. So Stu, um, we're going to move into the next section, which I'm going to warn you is not particularly big or populated today. So it is, uh, what can you teach us? So the section is, what can you teach us? And the answer is not a lot this week. (laughs) Nobody sent anything in. Um, if you want to send something in, feel free, uh, uh, just, uh, email us at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions, send us, uh, well, basically anything you Love want. Love mail, we hate mail. Read it. Yeah. Yeah. Both. 
at the same yeah. time love hate mail um mm, no no don't love hate mail i don't love hate mail um so yeah just uh just send us stuff in we 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 love hearing from people we love getting asked questions we love just people sharing their opinions and uh telling us what they learned from a yeah. game um that doesn't happen as often i've noticed but when it does it's pretty cool yeah so yeah if you could do that that would be really really cool so then the next section we're going to move into is what we've been playing i'm only laughing because i'm thinking about what happened the last time we got into this section with you Stu, and i know that your life didn't get any nope. less busy nope, so have you been playing any smite uh, i have stuck with my schedule and every monday evening i have streamed some smite well that's good good for you yeah. man i'm glad that you're sticking to a schedule i'm glad that you're getting some it gaming gives me in. a bit of game time in which is why it's there to be honest um, i i guess um i i did I got a little, some board games in and a D&D session as well. So th- those are, those are oh. things. Those are good. Um, are you participating in somebody else's D&D? Yeah. Or are you running yeah, one? Yeah, well, both. But this was uh, Ooh, participating. Two. Yeah, the, the one I'm running is very sporadic, as you can imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, I can so, only imagine. Uh, but, but yeah, the Evening of Smite was good. Well, it's always good. It's always bad and good, so... There it is. I'll trust yeah. you. I'll trust you. Um, is there ever going to be a game that moves you off of Smite? Oh, for sure. As soon as anything is. How do, Smite's just like the comfortable guilty pleasure at this point. I yeah. just, uh, nothing is, it's going to take a game with really solid mechanics to peel me away. And it's going to have to have longevity. That's the thing is that I'm, I'm usually drawn to non-PVP experiences. So. Yes. Smite is kind of my PvP thing. <laughs> when Monster Hunter World hits PC, it's co-op. <laughs> yeah, and I would love to give it a shot. It's the kind of game that I would, I absolutely could try to get into. Depends on how the grind goes, but yeah, and uh, who's playing as well. Yeah. Uh, I know that there are some some things that you can solo by yourself, but I also hear that uh, having friends helps. Oh yeah, uh, it's it just depends if it if yeah it helps a little bit more than games like payday where you can do a co-op but my goodness some of those levels are just easier solo yeah yeah depending on who you're bringing yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, when they melt your house yeah Yeah. (laughs) um (laughs) okay so uh stuff that i've been playing i have been playing stardew valley Mm -hmm. a whole lot Mm. uh you'll be pleased to know that i got married to my uh my girlfriend penny the teacher who lives in a trailer she doesn't live in a trailer anymore now she lives in my farmhouse nice um which uh, i don't know if it's a step up i chose the option where at night monsters show up because i wanted to sort of basically give myself an alarm clock to go to bed Hmm. um and and make things exciting but it's actually kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> like, well, yeah. Um, the <laughs> the type of uh, the type of farming that I do now is um, I, I've gone from like having a small plot to basically using almost my entire property to uh, to bulk farm um, berries. And wow, wow! When uh, like a shadow demon just pops up out of the ground and I have to fight it in the middle of a berry patch 
with a sword that just cuts the berry bushes down. That's lost <laughs> revenue, man. That is That's lost awesome. revenue. All right. I do not appreciate the economic <laughs> losses that these goddamn monsters. I mean, if I don't go outside, they don't bug me, but it means that I'm not picking or attending to the berries yeah. that I need to either plant. Uh, That's awesome. So that everything runs on time. Yeah. It's uh but you know what? I still don't really regret it. If I can be honest with you, it's just, it's another aspect to, um, to the game. I chose to live there. I've just got to enjoy it. And it's, there's something interesting happening when I play this game. Like, um, these are like 16 bit pixel creations, right? But like, I'm slowly opening up the town by talking to people and giving them presents and stuff. And you get exposed to who these people are and what's going on in their lives. And uh, the guy who created this game, because it was actually done by just a single dude, and he got uh, Chucklefish, which uh, they do Starbound, um, to to publish it for him. Um, his name's Eric, but I can't remember his last name just off the top of my head, and I don't have a wiki page open. But uh, he like he took the time to really sort of create I mean, they're caricatures, but they're also, they've got, like, believable people traits. So, like, it's it's obvious that he has either met people or engaged with people like the people in this game. And he did a really good job of sort of conveying them in there by the way they act and what they do through the day. Um, mm. And uh, the way that they talk to you as, as you get to know them better. So, it was... Um, it's it's kind of fun getting to know the whole town. And I think that was one of the, the driving factors for making... Uh, the game the way that he did like uh, it happens a little bit in Harvest Moon but sometimes things would get lost in translation yeah. and you have like sort of forced strained weird conversations with uh, with people yeah. um, the cutscenes aren't as jarring in Stardew Valley it like the localization is pretty clean because I'm North American so I can relate to most of what's going yeah. on um, and uh, yeah it's it's just interesting like I didn't come to stardew valley to engage with the npcs except for the one that i wanted to marry which is kind of the wrong reason to even come to it i guess but uh yeah i'm just i'm now you're sucked in there i'm not saying it yeah. yeah there's there's something in there um and it's it's interesting even like the little weird dwarf that i found in, in the mines that i bring like candy every day um <laughs> he seems to really enjoy it and he tells oh, me yeah. funny stories about the stuff that he likes to eat from his yep. past so um yeah uh also by the way i've been i've been hearing every now and again i'll like listen to a podcast and somebody will bring up like a um a dwarf fortress <laughs> but they somebody mentioned another game and i can't remember it off the top of my head but I, it, it's basically the same thing only you're living above ground and you get attacked by like crazy animals um, like beavers and foxes and stuff. Okay. Um, if I can ever figure out what that game is, I'll mention it to you, and then maybe we could try it. <laughs> Just because we're the only people I know who would it even would, bother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's it for me. Just Stardew Valley. Um, I'm almost at the soft end of that game, and I think when I hit the soft end of that game, I might just sort of step away yeah. from it. Um, I do have a bunch of other games that I could play and I would like to. And I looked at the number of hours that I've actually put into that game and it was surprising and I'm not going to say it now, but I will say it when I finish. It is surprising. (laughs) For someone who doesn't have any time, I've been taking advantage of the hours that my son is sleeping. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I've also wanted to get into reading again really bad. That's fair. Um, yeah. Because I haven't read a book in a while, which is weird for me because you and I, we used to read books and a we lot. paid for yeah. it. <laughs> right? Like that's what mm-hmm. we did. Um, uh, mostly because we, you know, we originally enjoyed reading books and thought that, hey, you know what? Why not get trained yeah. in it? Um, but, uh, yeah, I haven't read a book in a long time. Um, like, front to back, the last one I read was the, uh, I think it was Game Over. It was the the history of Nintendo. Um, oh, okay. The rise of Nintendo yeah. back in the 90s. And um, there was those educational books that I was trying to read, but I kind of stalled out on them. Um, the, yeah, theory books are, they're fascinating. And once it's in your head, it's an awesome tool to have but most of them are not written in a super great fun oh my gosh can't put this down kind of way no very easy to bounce off of them um but i'm also sort of getting like the the fantasy book itch Mm. um and there is there are some series that i want to go back and revisit because i i miss them yeah that's fair (laughs) so so i'm probably going to jump back into that at some point um and really, that's it for me. That's what I've been uh, doing or dreaming of doing. Nice. So um, did you have anything else you wanted to add or should we close this baby down? I guess random plugs at the end. Uh, <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> yeah, I was going to get that. Okay. But uh, um, yeah, if you want to do some plugs, you can do some yeah, plugs I'm right just now. Gonna, I'm going to have to say two two quick things. Number one, um, I through a long convoluted series of events wound up getting a bunch of smite merchandise <laughs> yeah like from like, right uh, no not no, right oh my no God. not yeah, right from, from uh, high-res uh high-res there like, we go wound up they uh, just got a bunch of free shit and some of it just came in today and one of the things is a blanket and it's the softest blanket i have ever owned uh, it is fantastic. They're not allowed to have it because they'll tear it to shreds. Oh, and then I'll, yeah, and then I'll eat them. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, I just I've got a plug. I I saw uh, an LP of a game called the Super Amazing Wagon Adventure. Super Amazing Wagon Adventure. Yeah, it's on Steam for three dollars and thirty cents Canadian. That's not bad. Wow, that's really um <laughs> just even if you don't play it, just check it out. It it's an experience. It's a wonderful thing. It, there's a lot of love there. <laughs> What's what happens oh, in this game? Oh, it's it is a super amazing wagon adventure. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll uh I'll check it out in my off time then. It's worth looking at. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. Anything else you uh, wanted to plug uh, quick? Uh, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> okay. Uh, so then, uh, I'm going to say thank you everybody for sticking, sticking with us through, uh, through this one. And we hope you enjoyed yourselves. Um, Stu's already plugged his stuff. So I'm going to plug just one thing, uh, this week. Yeah. <laughs> and it is my cough. No. Um, I want to plug, uh, movie Bob or Bob Chipman. Uh, not, not as many people follow him as as I I feel he deserves, but um, he's a YouTube person. What is up with my dog? He's a YouTube personality. 
Um, and he, uh, he, he focuses on uh, gaming culture and also uh, comic books and movies. But right now he, he focuses a lot on movies. And for some reason, uh, I, I just finished, he did a series on Really That Bad, which is, uh, he usually does Really That Good because he wants it to be like a celebration of the movies that he mm. really enjoys. But then he saw Batman v Superman and um, ah. felt compelled to flip the script and <laughs> do a really that bad because he just couldn't understand how you could take yeah um, like two like such well established characters and then basically just but, deconstruct yeah. them. Um, but uh, like yeah. He had a lot of questions, <laughs> so yep. uh, he had three episodes uh, deconstructing uh, Batman v Superman. I watched all three. Each one was over an hour long. Um, the movie isn't as long as this deconstruction. <laughs> yeah. um, it's kind of like a red letter media yeah. sort of situation. Yeah. But um, he does a lot of content like that. He also did uh, this weird sort of show. It was the Game Overthinker, and it was like uh, sort of a. a an adventure series, like drama, all by himself. Um, it was really kind of weird, um, but it, it was it was also just an exploration of what is going on in, in video gaming at the time. Um, he sort of stepped back from doing video game stuff and does mostly movie stuff now because that's what everybody knows yeah. him for, hence the name. Um, but yeah, uh, I I recommend him. I like a lot of what he does. Um, I actually own his b- book on uh, Super Mario uh, Brick by Br- it's Super Mario Three Brick by Brick, and it's just a a breakdown of the construction of uh, Super Mario Brothers Three. Um, but yeah, nice guy from Boston. Um, just uh, just doing his thing. Just uh, trying to <laughs> trying to make a living critiquing nice. movies, which not I don't easy know. to do. not easy to do um even in the age of youtube which has become harder if you don't have a large enough fan base um okay so then you know what um i think we're gonna close this one down so if you want to know more about learn from gaming podcast we've got all kinds of social media going on we've got facebook um which we didn't notify anybody that we were recording today so that was my bad we've got twitter um, we've got our website at www.learnfromgaming.com, um, and we are also on iTunes. We are on Podbean. We are on uh, Google Sound. Uh, all of all uh, of them. Yeah, because we're on Google Sound, we end up like on Spotify and a bunch of other stuff, which is nice. So, um, yeah, we're on a bunch of things. Check us out. Uh, if you feel like it, rate us. That would be nice. Um, give us some constructive feedback. <laughs> you know, if you don't like us, tell yep. us why. Uh, don't just give us that one star. Give us that one star with an explanation. So, yeah. So, um, thanks again for joining, and tune back in soon. Yeah.